0: I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level. So I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have one of the most watched and listened to guests of this show's history. We have Daryl Anka, channeler of Bashar, back. And Daryl and I have an amazing conversation about the fabric of reality why we are here and so much more. Let's dive in. I like to welcome back to the show, returning champion Daryl Anka.
1: <laughs> How are you doing, hey, Daryl? Alex. Great, great to be back. Thank you for having me,
0: my friend. Thank you so much for coming back. I mean, we we have to do. We're I think that my audience demands at least two or three times a year at least that you and I have a conversation.
1: <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. I,
0: no, I do truly appreciate it. I mean, our last conversations have gone, uh, you know, some of the biggest biggest conversations we've had on the show. And people love you and love Bashar's uh, messages of spirituality and helping and growth and evolution that we're all going through. Uh, so I I do truly appreciate you coming uh, coming back
1: on the show. I always love talking to you, but you're a good old friend. <laughs> and besides, I mean, you know, I, I appreciate you having this forum to get the information out and share it with people. So, thank you for that.
0: So, my first question to you in this in this conversation, my friend, what is the biggest misconceptions we have about metaphysical
1: concepts, which
0: are tossed around, woo, woo we here, woo woo there, this or that? There's, I'm, and that's a large question. So, do the best you can.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, have you got a couple hours? Uh, <laughs> hmm, biggest misconceptions. Well, I mean, one of the things that Bashar goes into a lot. <laughs> when he does uh do sessions is about a lot of people are are still kind of using a lot of outdated definitions old-fashioned definitions that can actually sort of mislead people into thinking how certain metaphysical things work and so my appreciation for what he's delivering has a lot to do with bringing a lot of definitions into the 21st century so you know it's kind of like an example I often use. And and of course, it it doesn't matter if people use these definitions. It's just that it can promote a misunderstanding. If they understand how these things work, they can use whatever definition they want. But since we have not had a lot of clarity about how metaphysical uh, experiences actually work, uh, a lot of people substitute the mechanism that's causing them for the definition of the experience which is not the same thing so an an analogy of this is you know we still say sunset we know the sun doesn't set we know the earth is revolving and that's the mechanism the true mechanism but we still say sunset so it's fine to say sunset but now at least we know it's not that the sun is moving it's that the earth is revolving So a lot of metaphysical concepts still have their outdated definitions and no one uh, is really explaining, no, it's that the earth is revolving. That's what causes this experience. Call it what you will. But Mm -hmm. the description of the experience is not the same thing as a description of the mechanism that causes it. So I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions I run across all the time. So what are some of
0: these, you know, classic metaphysical terms that just are completely old-fashioned?
1: A good example is things like telepathy. Um, Our old-fashioned definition is that, you know, I'm reading your mind. Bashar explains the idea as a matter of harmonizing vibrational frequencies so that if you're on the same wavelength as someone else, you're having the same thoughts at the same time because those are the thoughts that go with that frequency. So it's not that you're reading their mind. You're reading your own mind but you coincidentally synchronistically have the same thoughts so you know what they're thinking but it's not literally that you're reading their mind so knowing the truth about the mechanism applies to a lot of different things in metaphysics that have to do with vibrational harmony and resonance and so on and so forth and we understand that the apparent experience is oh i'm reading your mind but that's not what's actually happening to make that experience function when you said frequency, uh, and
0: this is a concept that's been tossed around a lot uh, because one of the other things we talk about on the show a bunch is about um, the pyramids and uh, you know it, those kind of megaliths and those kind of ideas uh, of, of ancient civilizations. But the frequency, and I've heard this said before, if you can tap into or know the frequency of a rock or of something heavy, you can connect with it at a different level, lift it up with sound or other things like that. What does Bashar say about all that?
1: Well, to him, everything is about resonance. Everything is about vibration of energy. Everything is about the frequency that you're operating on that allows you to perceive certain things and accomplish certain things. Because from his point of view, it's just physics. You can't perceive what you're not the vibration of. Even Einstein said, you you can't solve a problem from the same level in which the problem was created you have to go to a different level where the solution exists and Bashar explains all this as a matter of elevating your frequency your vibration your energy to the state that is commensurate with the information that you're seeking so this is kind of what the channeling is all about is when i go into the channeling state (laughs) My brain's going into a different frequency. It's going into what's called the gamma frequency between 40 and 100 cycles per second. And in that state, that's representative of anyone's capability of getting into that state. When you're doing what you love to do, when you're in the zone, so to speak, um, you're operating in that gamma frequency more often than not. Even in deep meditations, you go into gamma frequency. So when you're in that state, when you're operating at that frequency, you are receiving the information that is germane to that level. So you can synthesize information differently. You can make different kinds of connections and associations. You see things from a different perspective, from the perspective that is relevant to that frequency. So you can't know information unless you're on the frequency of that information. But vice versa, if you're on that level, only that kind of information comes to you and nothing else that's of a different vibration actually is visible to you anymore so it's everything is resonance and if everything is one thing let's let's go there the only reason that things appear different is because of the different frequencies of different aspects of that one thing that's what makes things different just like you know um electromagnetic energy is one thing but you see it as red light as a frequency you see it as blue light as a different frequency it's all the same stuff. The only difference is the frequency of that energy. So that's how you know, everything operates, according to Bashar.
0: so that's very interesting too, because if you even if you just use the concept of color, you know, our eyes are seeing different colors based on the frequency of that color. As you and I both know very well why we as we as I worked as a colorist for you,
1: exactly. <laughs> very good at recognizing
0: frequencies, yeah, because you start and that's how why we have. Uh, the sun, as the sun uh, sets, (laughs) uh, as the sun sets uh, on the horizon, the color changes because the frequency of the light is being affected by the horizon and by the atmosphere. Hence, dark oranges and all that kind of stuff and blues and and, and purples and stuff like that.
1: Right, right. And, you know, I've I've even heard that. I think this is mostly with women. I'm not sure this happens with men. There are certain women that have Extra cones and rods in their oh, retinas, in their eye. Uh-huh. and they actually see more colors than the average person. So you know there you have to have the faculty to be able to perceive different frequencies, just like you know, we can't normally see ultraviolet light, but we have invented devices that allow us to see it. or people that have their, I think it's people that have their lenses removed from mm-hmm. their eyes can suddenly see ultraviolet light because the lens is not filtering that out anymore just like ultraviolet can't get through glass it can't get through your lens but when that lens is removed surgically for one reason or another suddenly they start seeing this weird sort of bluish silver light everywhere and they're seeing ultraviolet because now there's nothing filtering it out so
0: well there but Daryl, so as, as, as a married man, uh, and as a married man myself, uh, I understand that women are superior in every way, shape or form. Um, so that's a given. So is obviously. Your wife standing behind you in the room somewhere? No, she is not. Help me. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. um, they are are, yes person (laughs) 2.0 yes oh there's no question there's obviously no question they should be ruling the world um but uh but seriously as far as the frequency is concerned and frequency has been something that i've been very interested in studying because of you know my studies in the yogic philosophies and and studying ascended masters and studying masters who've walked the earth they especially in the yogic uh, philosophies uh and thought about raising that frequency to a point where you're able to connect with that information, which is what you're saying, essentially. And that's why these yogis who've been meditating for 30 years or 40 years, they're able to connect with information at a different level than we are. So my question to you is, how do we raise our frequency, our vibration?
1: Well, Bashar has a very specific way of telling us how to do that. And it all Mm -hmm. revolves around acting on our passion. Now, people again, hear these phrases a lot, you know, act on your passion, act on your bliss, you know, live your dreams. But as far as I can tell, at least in the beginning, uh, Bashar is one of the only sources that explains why that's important. And he explains it again, physically, mechanically. Mm -hmm. And his explanation is, you know, we have this physical mind, but we also have a non-physical higher mind. Most of our beingness is not physical. This is a small portion of who we are as greater beings. But the higher mind communicates to the physical mind, and it does so in terms of energies and frequencies. And the messages that it sends are translated through our physical mind into our physical bodies as the sensation we call passion, excitement, creativity, love, attraction. So when you understand that acting on your passion is actually a response to your higher mind saying, this is who you are. This is the next step on your path. Action is necessary because action is the language of physical reality, not words, Mm -hmm. not thoughts, actions, physical action. So when you act on your passion, you are responding to the higher mind. You're saying, I heard you and I believe you and I'm trusting your guidance and so I will act on the thing you have sent me as an opportunity synchronistically that contains the most excitement at this moment, more than any other option, because your higher mind is telling you, here's the next step. So if you do that, then you're doing, you're beginning this dialogue with the higher mind. You're, you're creating a back and forth. If you don't act on your passion, your higher mind isn't going to send you any more opportunities to do so until you act on what it's already sent you, because that would simply make no sense. But if you keep doing that over and over and over again, the higher mind going, okay, you're receptive, you're, you're following my guide, you're following my lead, and I will keep sending you more and more opportunities that contain excitement and passion for you to act on because I see you're willing to do so. And then you're willing to accept the guidance that will lead you through life in a joyful way. So that's the mechanism behind it, again, is resonance, it's frequency, it's energy communication. But we have to understand that the higher mind speaks in energy terms, but the physical mind has to speak in actions because we're physical.
0: So in other words, if we are going to, uh, if we're talking about leaving our job, we can talk about it all at what we want, but no other opportunities will present themselves until you physically quit your
1: job and leave. Or, and leave. or something will force you to get out. If <laughs> Yes. I'm yes. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and it is the action on your passion that raises your frequency because you're being true to yourself. You're closer to your core frequency of who you really are. So acting on your passion in specific ways is what allows you to raise your vibration. naturally.
0: You, you, you said something very interesting right there. Core vibration. What is that? Is that, a, do we come in with a, yes. a, a dial on the knob that is yeah. where we're supposed to resonate? It's so our- Jesus, Jesus is here. Yes. Uh, Buddha's here, we're here. And then, but that's the core?
1: Well, no, we all have the same core. We okay. all have okay. the same core. What gets in the way of that core are the filters we impose upon ourselves with our negative and fear based belief systems. So it's about getting all that clutter out of the way so that the true vibration of our core essential being comes through unimpeded. We all right. have so a the- same. So in other words, we all have the ability to get up to
0: the higher levels. It's just the amount of crap that we've piled on ourselves that we have to kind of strip
1: away. Yeah. Or the themes that we've chosen to explore that may be for the purpose of keeping us at a certain level, because that can actually serve a purpose for some spirits, some souls to just experience. I'm just going to stay here. That's the lesson I'm learning. And that's what right. this life is all about. But essentially, yes, they we all have the same potential but it's colored by whatever it is we've decided we're going to experience as physical beings, adopting belief systems that then are in keeping with that theme of exploration. But most of us have the ability to sort of expand that to a great degree. Let me ask you
0: this, because we're kind of touching on the subject of um, reincarnation and and different lives and things like that. And I understand what you're saying, that we, we can come into this life, which could be a very short life, could be a very long life, or we could just go, this is the only thing I'm really... My main goal of my soul blueprint is to, be you know, be, you know, deal with being an alcoholic and how and, and overcome that, or being a singer and dealing with fame, or being a mother and being a parent, or whatever those things are. it doesn't have to be grandiose; it could be no. small and simple uh, for that soul's evolution. Right. But uh, you know that on the show, I've had so many different uh, near-death experiencers on the show. Mm-hmm. What is Um, what is Bashar's take on near-death experiences and what these souls are kind of... And why do they even go through those experiences?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of them, uh, those are the moments that they've chosen to sort of open their eyes and awake to their purpose in life because a lot of near-death people, when they do return, are very changed. They understand now they sort of have a goal of service. They see things very differently. They understand physical reality to be a projection of our consciousness. They're more prone to being helpful to other people, kind to other people, uh, compassionate about people that are not like them because they understand they're on a different journey. So uh, a near-death experience is almost like having a reset button. And many people have chosen to have that reset button at certain points in their life. And at the same time, it provides us with more information about the next phase of our lives because death is not the end it's just a transition Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: in fact it's just a transition back to our natural state so this is the this is the unnatural state this is the temporary experience uh you know many people associate the near-death experience with having gone home for a brief period of time Mm -hmm. and therefore that really is a glimpse into what awaits all of us when we wake up from this self-imposed physical dream so to speak
0: if and I've, I've heard this said many times that us, we're all obviously souls mm-hmm. uh that's not a question uh that we're expressions of god mm-hmm. uh, or source energy or whatever the word you want to use oh. and the, that that energy that source is experiencing everything through us through the trees through the bugs through the earth through Planets through solar systems, there everything.
1: Is that is not it.
0: Correct. The big question is why does it need to do that?
1: It's not a matter of needs. See, that's a very human question because right. we, we're experiencing things like beginnings and endings and wants and desires. It's just its nature. That's just what it is. It, it, it's like you know trying to explain something that is just innate. It's the nature of existence to experience itself. Because let's see, I don't want this to get too complicated. Everything is one thing from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. But the only way to have different perspectives, to know itself in all the ways that it can, is to sort of create this illusion of separation, this illusion of Other than itself, because you can't really have self awareness if there isn't an other than self to measure against. You only know yourself if there's something that is apparently not you, so that you can distinguish between the two. So, just the very nature of the the polarity of the one that is unbroken, and yet a part of it knows itself as distinct from the one and that's what Bashar refers to as all that is, the part that knows itself as everything, that starts the whole ball rolling right there. Just just that ability to see the reflection of the self, to know the self, the self-awareness automatically starts the concept of experiencing yourself in all the ways that it's possible to experience yourself. And on that level, on that highest level, since it is everything, it's going to simply experience itself as everything that it is. That's just the natural result of self-awareness, of consciousness. It's, it's the natural quality of consciousness.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now, back to the show. So as we are, so as we are experiencing and, and evolving as souls as expressions of source energy of God. Um, we obviously keep elevating and elevating and growing <clears throat> in levels um, like us and our ascended masters that we know, like a Jesus, a Buddha, you know, right. these kind of people. Um, at a at certain point, though, we will get to the top of this mountain and go back into God.
1: What there's is that? No, there's no end to it. Because think about it this way let's say you reach what from your perspective is the top well there's a collection an infinite collection of tops Mm -hmm. right it never ends because it never began so you can always find a new perspective you can always create a new experience so even if you seem to reach the ultimate then you have to realize but there's an infinity of ultimates of different kinds different perspectives of ultimates so it never ends
0: Well, I mean, just on this planet alone, there Mm -hmm. is an infinite amount of experiences and things
1: and perspectives and angles on everything from... Right. And that's, yeah, that's how creation grows. See, the structure of existence is simple and never changes. It's your relationship to the structure, your experience of the structure that changes. That's how creation grows. The, The structure never changes. Structure is what it is.
0: Now, speaking of going to the other side a little bit and, and quantum field and quantum energy and, and information at that other higher levels, um, what is Bizarre's point of view on the Akashic Records, which is an old concept that's been talked about here, but also been mis, eh,
1: misused a bit here and there, misunderstood? Again, it's that old-fashioned definition. I mean, information, everything is here and now. The mm-hmm. illusion of space and time is exactly that, an illusion. And some quantum physicists are beginning to realize that with things like entanglement and so on and so forth. Um, since everything is here and now, that includes information. The idea of the Akashic records is simply, again, if you're on the right frequency, you access the information from wherever you are because everything is here and now. So it's just the, it's an old fashioned way of expressing the holographic nature of the embedment of information in the now. And again, if you tune to the right frequency, you've got the information that goes with that frequency. It's not that the Akashic Records is some secret vault somewhere else, or, you know, so on and so forth. But again, you can represent it that way, as long as you understand that what you're actually doing is simply accessing information that's available to everyone from right here and right now, because time and space are illusions. So that's his perspective on the Akashic Records.
0: Now, I've heard you talk about the different archetypes of God. Can you explain those a little bit?
1: Well, there are, again, in creating different reflections, there are different levels of reflections. And one level of that is on a larger collective consciousness level that to many different individual people who are experiencing different cultures, different religions, different beliefs, there are these larger collective representations or symbols of those cultures and beliefs that we call archetypes. So, you know, it's there's a mother archetype, there's a father archetype, because there are many individual mothers and fathers. You know, there is, a, you know, a child archetype. It's, it's portions of our collective consciousness that are sort of like subgroups, sub-collections, mini-collections that represent a certain energy and all together make up the total collective energy of our particular earthly experience. And so when we think about the idea of, you know, gods, goddesses, those are archetypes that represent different aspects of our collective energy in our relationship to source and so on and so forth. Now, anything is conscious and everything is made of consciousness. And so archetypes can actually be autonomous. We can experience them as if they are separate beings relating to us because that's how our collective consciousness is broken down into these layers and levels so that we can communicate with different aspects of our collective consciousness that might be more relevant to what we're experiencing as individuals to me that's in a sense and i think to Bashar, that's what archetypes are they're larger scale reflections of things that help us see a broader picture of portions of the collective that we all have agreed to experience as having a human life on earth
0: now we talked we touched upon this a little bit but can you from again Prashar's perspective how did uh, a jesus or a buddha or you know any of these walking masters when they were alive become masters be, be, to elevate beyond needing to reincarnate
1: yeah well i think again a lot of these beings chose to come in not so much forgetting Who they are as their natural selves because that's all we're really doing is we've imposed forgetfulness on us on ourselves so that we can discover new things because you can't really discover something new if you don't forget who you were it's like rediscovering yourself from a new point of view so that's how we create new understandings and expansions of our consciousness they simply chose to act as guides coming in by not forgetting as much of who they really are and acting as living examples of what we can all be. I mean, as far as I remember, Jesus himself said, you know, you are all gods. You will do this, you know, this and better things than I have done. He knew, you know, what he was doing in that sense, as did Buddha, Krishna, and, you know, all these ascended masters who are there to reflect to us what our true abilities are. They're not there to be followed in the sense that we've followed them they're there to give us the path to follow for our understanding that they are simply reflections of what we can be so when you know jesus said i am the way he doesn't mean you have to just believe in me as a christian he means this is the way to live this is the way to be like me if you understand what i'm telling you of course again many misinterpretations and you know cultural uh you know lack of understanding and things of the times but they're there so we can grow to them.
0: They're right, art. he's ex- he, he's explaining I am the example, yeah. not I. you need to follow me specifically.
1: No, I am the example. Be this way. Right,
0: exactly. Um, now, uh, I've heard Bashar say that everything is made of love.
1: Well, yes. I mean, it's all consciousness. Love, and specifically what we call unconditional love, is the frequency of existence itself. It's the frequency of source. So Mm -hmm. when we tap into that, that's what we experience. And that's going back to the NDE. Many near-death experiences say that is one of the first things that they experience when they cross over is just this overwhelming sensation of unconditional love and support. That's because they're diving back in or diving up into the natural frequency of existence of source itself. So okay, so if there, if that everything
0: is made of love and of that that source frequency, how can there be murderers, criminals, you know, quote well, unquote bad people? Again, in the
1: world? you forget who you are. You can get caught up in different kinds of fear based and negative belief systems as an experience, and there are consequences to every choice you make. And if you're making choices from a fear based place. A negative place those can be the kinds of consequences that can happen to your physical mind without you necessarily knowing that you have any other choice because if you do get caught up in negative belief cycles and things like that for whatever purpose um it does, see again you can't perceive what you're not the frequency of so someone who is really steeped in a fear-based belief system actually doesn't have the capacity, unless they change for some reason, to actually even perceive that there is any other way to do things other than the way they're doing them. Everyone is reaching out for connection. Everyone is reaching out for love. But if you don't understand the right toolkit, if you don't understand the Mm -hmm. right state of being that represents that, if you're coming from a fear-based place, then reaching out can be from a lack of, it can be from a fear of, It can be, I need to control things. I need to uh, dominate things because that's the only thing that makes me feel like I'm in charge, I'm in control. So it's someone who has created an experience of disconnection from source within themselves and therefore they're literally in a panic mode and they're pitching around trying to control their reality which unfortunately can mean they're trying to dominate others to their will, bend others to their will because they have forgotten the connection that they have to their own self-empowerment people don't do the kinds of things that murderers do if they are connected in their minds (laughs) to source if they're connected to self-empowerment because there's simply no reason to do that you know you can get anything you need in life if you're connected that way we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show but they're feeling devoid they're feeling empty they're feeling lost and people who feel that way will lash out at other people out of resentment or whatever because they think they have something i don't and i want that i want that control i want that feeling but it's like an addiction you know if if you're not actually connecting within yourself you can't fill that emptiness with anything that's what addiction is about you're trying to either fill an empty hole or you're trying to numb the feeling that you have an empty hole within you so you don't have to pay attention to it. And unfortunately, that can extend to heinous acts. So it's Mm -hmm. a kind of addiction.
0: Yeah, and and no matter how much money, power, fame you have, it does not, and you and I both know working in Hollywood, it does not fill the hole, no matter how many Oscars you have how many yachts or mansions or any of that you
1: have no because that's not really true power no it is not it's the connection that gives you the self-empowerment it's the knowingness that we're all connected if if, and there's enough for everyone you know oh it's it's
0: infinite there's there it's yeah just because you and i have doesn't mean that someone we're taking it from someone else which is such a,
1: a a lack mentality but you know that's the thing that's interesting and this is this is i think where Bashar is the most fun is when he talks about the paradox in certain yes. places yeah. because he's saying you know somebody say oh well I lack confidence and Bashar will say well you're awfully confident about that <laughs> so it's not that you lack confidence it's that you're placing your confidence in something that doesn't serve you so it's not like you lack trust because you're always trusting something to be true It's not like you are disconnected because you're using your connection to play the game of being disconnected. So he says, you have to see the paradox in those statements to know that it's not possible for you to actually not be confident. It's not possible for you to lack trust. It's not possible for you to be disconnected. You're just using your trust, your confidence, and your connection to have this illusion, this experiential illusion of not having something, of lacking something so it's like you don't even lack abundance you may have an abundance of the experience of lack but you are abundant in that (laughs) (laughs) choices that we make as to where to put our understanding of connection confidence trust abundance and all that we are all completely truly powerful beings but we have forgotten that and that gives us the opportunity to make choices that are not necessarily in alignment with who we truly are, but that's part of the earthly experience, has been for thousands of years. We're kind of coming out of it, which again is the whole point. It's kind of like a master graduating class. We've decided that we're strong enough to come into this very dense, very dark reality and actually discover ourselves in the midst of that darkness, in the midst mm-hmm. of all that limitation. This is why one of the phrases that Bichar has for humanity is the masters of limitation. We are using limitation in so many creative ways, but we're also, many people, figuring out how to overcome that, how to transform that. And that's the graduate program. That really accelerates and expands our soul's growth. To go into such darkness but find the light, he calls it the rubber band analogy. So it's like he's saying, if you pull a rubber band back, the farther you pull it back, when you let it go, it'll snap that much farther and faster into this other side. So he's saying the farther you go into darkness, when you finally let go, you'll snap into light that much faster and that much farther. So this is the technique that we're using is, even in the darkness, a small candle will shine the brightest. So you have to have the darkness surrounded in order to see that little tiny light. And when you see it, then it can expand and fill your particular world your particular reality but a lot of times you have to go into the darkness to find it
0: i love the paradox of like you are abundant and lack
1: <laughs> exactly
0: you don't lack abundance you just have a lot of lack in your life you need to switch it out yeah. to have a lot of abundance in life
1: abundance and lack. yeah that's an ex- <laughs> that's... it's just an experience that we're choosing based on the belief systems that we have and i don't necessarily mean we're consciously choosing it oh you can man. consciously choose it because a lot of our belief systems are unconscious because of how we were raised and what we buy into and don't even know we're being spoon-fed so a lot of it we pick up and that's why you know when we become more mature we start rebelling against things we start realizing i don't believe the same things my parents did or my school did or my teachers did i need to figure out what i believe what's true for me you know in this so that's what the pro- process of maturation is really all about, is who are you? What are you, right. and th- you know. if If you're curious, you do that. Many people just stay on that road. And that's their path in this life. And, you yeah. know, see, that's the other thing is, you know, people worry about, oh, I have to help this person. They have to change. They have mm-hmm. to grow up. Yes, you can help them by sharing with them options. You can say, here's another path. It might be better. What they choose to do with that information is absolutely none of your business because you don't know what their path is. You don't know. Maybe they've decided I have to go through this dark phase and I may never learn the things you're telling me in this life. But, you know, we're all infinite eternal beings. What's your hurry? You're going to learn it <laughs> somewhere <laughs> at some point that's correct for you. At the very least, you'll go through your life review when you go to the other side and you will realize, oh, I made some choices that probably weren't the best and now I'm learning that. So, you know, everyone can help by giving people information when it's appropriate to do so, but people don't have to take that information. If they do, great. But if they don't, you have to have the compassion to realize, well, they're on a different journey right now and I've done my best to give them other options, but they're the ones that have to make the decision to choose those options. It's not up to me to say that they must.
0: Right, because that's where a lot of these uh, the wars that we've had over the centuries have been like, you need to believe in yes. this person or that person or this religion or that religion. It generally doesn't work out. Generally not. Generally, I mean, when, when you put a knife or a sword to someone's head, like, believe
1: in Christ or I will kill you, that's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus. <laughs> well, and here's, again, the paradox in this. You know, right. as Bashar says, anyone that feels like they have to force their beliefs on someone else They don't believe in the power of their own beliefs. Because if Mm -hmm. it has power, people will gravitate to it, you know, and they'll say, yes, this is great. But if you have to force your point of view on someone, you're not believing in the power of your own point of view. You're trying to convince yourself that it's powerful more than anyone else.
0: That's why, like, these yogis that uh, of of this last 100 to 150 years, like Maharashi or Yogananda, people gravitated towards them and their teachings as opposed to he did they did preach to a certain extent but they
1: just put the information out there they didn't go you must follow this never exactly. you know and and that's why you know you say people some people have magnetic personalities they're just being the living example of something and it's very seductive people really do gravitate they are magnetized by people who are confident about themselves and what they're sharing and letting people make their own decisions about whether or not they wanna adopt it or not. It's a very seductive magnetic energy and people will find it when they need to.
0: I've spoken to people who've been, who were uh, devotees of the Maharashi, Maharishi, excuse me, um, who, who you know brought TM to the world, the Transcendental Meditation. And they said that being around them, just being around them, even Ram Dass said this right. about his yogi, Um, his guru that just being around them was
1: a intoxicating event and and people have said that about Bashar in the sessions too they Mm. give off a frequency that it's like he uses my electromagnetic field to give off a frequency that is closer to his people feel that and when they sort of match or at least try to match that frequency they go into a different state that's closer to the state in which he exists so yes that does rub off if someone is open to it they will adapt and their energy will start to match the frequency of the person that's delivering the information as Bashar says a lot of the conversations he he shares with people aren't it's not even about the words it's about the vibration he's giving off And that gets in deeper to the person on an unconscious level than even the words that they might be hearing. It's also why his conversations are often said to be holographic. People can listen to them one time on a recording. They can hear something. Then they go back maybe a year later and they listen to it again. They go, oh, I didn't know he said that. Oh, my God, that makes so much sense. I didn't know that at the time. So they hear different things based on where they're at in their life. It contains all those levels and things come up when they're ready to hear them, just like again any ascended master does that when you're ready to hear it you hear it but it's been said it's there all the time you just weren't ready to hear it we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor
0: and now back to the show yeah well it's the experience i had with reading autobiography of a yogi when i first read it i was like i could not grasp Right. A lot of the things. And then when I read it again, it was just like bomb, 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 bomb going off in my head because I was like, oh, oh, oh. I'm sure if I go back and read it right now, I will discover obscene amount of things that I didn't see the first time, I, the third or second or third time I read it. Exactly. That's great. You know, well, it's kind of like seeing a good movie. Like if you watch if going back to a movie real quick, uh, you watch a Kubrick film at 20 and then you watch a Kubrick film at 50. Yeah, you're going to see very different <laughs>
1: yeah, they talk about a lot of the stuff like he did in The Shining that were very oh. subtle, and you just don't catch them. But you don't know why you feel uneasy. You know, I keep
0: telling, I always tell people that. I go, yeah, yeah. "What's your scariest movie you ever seen?" I'm like, "Shining." And he goes, "Is it really scary?" I go, "Arguably not really terrifying at all. It's right. not a, there's not a terrifying element. Yeah, it's it's creepy. The twins, yeah, a little blood in the water. It's, it's disturbing." From the moment the titles yeah. come up, the music alone is unsettling exactly.
1: but uh, yeah, many things in that movie that people don't even to this day know that he did because they're just not they're just not getting what you know some of the changes and the, the session master. and stuff like that. It's uh, really kind of brilliant, but yeah. it's
0: it, it, it let's not go down this road because then we'll start geeking out, sir. so uh, <laughs> now you did talk a little bit about the subconscious brain as uh, subconscious mind um uh, the unconscious mind uh can you kind of break down the physical deconstruct God. the physical mind a bit for people because that yeah. might clarify a lot of the reasons why we do some of the things that we do
1: yeah we tend to think of the subconscious and the unconscious as being sort of below the physical mind in fact they're above it because it's it's the spirit it's the it's the higher mind that comes down into the unconscious mind which is the first level which contains The potential of all the belief systems that the physical mind will experience then the subconscious mind acts kind of like the gatekeeper for the physical mind so it's like a few of the unconscious beliefs come into the subconscious and when they're ready to and when the physical mind is sort of just about ready to deal with those kinds of belief systems and then the subconscious lets them into the physical conscious mind at the rate that the physical conscious mind can handle it and process it can go through it so it's like a the unconscious mind sort of acts like a reservoir of many of the themes and challenges you're going to experience that you've agreed to experience in this life and the subconscious mind is kind of like well let's let this one through let's let's let them they're ready to deal with this one now they're ready to deal with that one so it's kind of like the gatekeeper of all of the themes and challenges and beliefs that you're going to experience as a physical mind and then the physical mind is the one that actually has the experience of them when they play out and start to manifest in your life as either physical experiences or opportunities or challenges. Most of the, cha- most of the themes that people have chosen to explore usually present themselves as the challenges you face in your life. But that's so it's, the subconscious mind.
0: So it's kind of like, because when you see this play out, and I'm using this as an example, you see either a lottery winner or a person that has overnight fame mm-hmm. especially when they're younger they don't have the capability of processing it right as a way of or someone like of uh, the guy who just won the uh, Oscar um for the 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 little guy from the goonies who was oh, amazing yeah. he took 30 years to process fame because right. he had fame up front but then he lost yeah. it all right and then he so but when this fame hit him, he Was completely ready to deal with it because he had been he was kind of building up the the ability to handle it, or or it's like if someone builds a fortune, mm-hmm. a, you know, a financial fortune over 20 years, as opposed to someone just getting
1: a billion dollars right away who's no understanding of how to deal with it, right? I mean, you know, these things come into people's lives obviously for a lot of different reasons, as there of are, of course, um, but you know, I'm I can see the actor you're talking about now has a much more respectful and deeper appreciation of the idea of mm-hmm. fame and being recognized you know there was a there was a famous experiment <clears throat> that was done when you say you know somebody all of a sudden has a lot of money and they and they haven't been prepared how to process this and a lot of that, that kind of stuff can reveal the belief systems that are in a person and this yep, experiment yep. was I think <clears throat> some people decided just to give a a homeless person on the street a hundred thousand dollars and just see what he would do and it was like within a month, it was all gone. He gave parts of it away. He bought things for pe- other people and stuff like that. And at the end of it, you know, when he was basically penniless again, they said, you know, why didn't you use that to, you know, buy your apartment, buy an apartment, get yourself into a better situation? And he said, if I had kept that money, it would be controlling me. And I don't want to be controlled. It would, it would make me have expectations as to what people thought I would I should do with it. And that feels like control to me. So I'd mm-hmm. rather be homeless and feel free. So it's like you don't you don't know why people are always in the situations that they're in until you really examine what are the belief systems going on in their mind that that brought this about that made them make choices that this was the result of. So that was a very revealing magnifying glass on one person's relationship with abundance and money where they just felt that having it what if they felt controlled by it because then they were expected to do things and they didn't want that expectation on them so there you go and money's not always the solution for something like that like that perfectly illustrates not at all in fact bashar often talks about how there are many forms of abundance and money is acceptable on this planet as certainly one representation of exchange there's nothing wrong with it but he's saying Unfortunately, we've developed this relationship to it where it's at the cost of, (laughs) to put it mildly, at the cost of other forms of abundance that could come to us. Because he's saying, look, if somebody gives you a gift, that's a form of abundance. If you have something to trade, that's a form of abundance. Communication is a form of abundance. Imagination is a form of abundance. Synchronicity is a form of abundance. All these things make you think of different ways you can do things that might not require what you thought you needed to do it. So as long as you're able to continue to act on your passion, it doesn't matter what form of abundance comes in. And he's saying very often it might actually be two or three or four different forms of abundance. Maybe you need a little bit of money to do this, but then someone gives you something and then you realize you have something to trade and synchronicity brings you another opportunity that wasn't there. And all together, They form the 100% abundance that allows you to continue to move forward on your passion. But the insistence on only one form, like money, can actually shut the door through which other forms of abundance could come. Because you think, well, if I don't get this, then I can't do that. And that immediately erases your ability to perceive any other form of abundance as being legitimate. And so he's saying you need to expand your concept of abundance and support so that all forms of it can come to you and allow you the ability to continue to move forward.
0: This is, that is a, I've never heard that, Daryl. That is a fascinating concept. Yes. I was going to ask you, that was one of my questions today, the five forms of abundance.
1: Can we dig in a little deeper into these five forms of abundances? Or are there only five forms? No, there may be many more. I only He's, he's only discussed these forms. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I mean, look at the idea of communication being a form of abundance. And I've, I've had experiences with this form myself. Sometimes you're in a situation, but let's even say, just bring it down to the brass tacks. Uh, you don't have enough money to pay your rent, okay? And so somebody says, well, I need more money. Well, do you, or do you need more time? Or do you need something else? But if you communicate with your landlord and say, look, here's the situation I'm in. Let me explain it to you. And I'm doing my best to get you what I promised to get you but here's what I'm trying to do. And here's, I need a little time and I need this. So a lot of times communication, it involves people. It makes them appreciate that you didn't just run away and hide, you didn't just leave them hanging, you communicated. And because you communicated, the landlord says, I get where you're at and I'm fine with giving you an extra month to do this or that or whatever you need to do. As long as I know you're thinking of what your responsibilities are and you're willing to fulfill those responsibilities, I know that you're an honest person and I know I can work with you." Well, look what just happened. Now suddenly you have more time, you have more opportunities that will come to you in that time to give you what you need, to pass on what you promised. So, you know, that's a form of abundance is expanding the time to be able to do something with someone you've made an agreement with that. You just have to work these things. You know, you just have to get them to work for you. The, the famous story that I always tell. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Is uh, a, a dear friend who is a, wonderful photographer takes gorgeous pictures you know this story yeah, yeah, yeah and uh well do you mind if i tell it again please go ahead please please now she had this dream she wanted to fly around the world and take gorgeous pictures of all these sacred sites pyramids stonehenge etc cetera, etc cetera. she didn't have the money to do this not anywhere near the money it would normally take to have all the airline tickets and what hotels and all this kind of stuff But she didn't give up. And she had what most people would think would be this crazy idea. This is what came to her on the level she was at. Because she didn't despair. She stayed in a positive state. And suddenly this inspiration came to her. I'm going to go to the airlines and I'm going to ask them to fly me around the world for free. Now, most people would think, oh, you're nuts. What airline is going to do that? But she said, I understand there has to be some form of exchange. There has to be an equalization here. So I'm going to the airlines and I'm telling them... (coughs) If you fly me to all these sites for free, I'm going to take these gorgeous pictures because look, here's the pictures I've already done. And you can see that they're really good pictures. And I'm going to let you use those pictures in your brochures to lure tourists to these sites and fly your airlines. Not only did they say, yes, that's a brilliant idea. They put her up in the best hotels. They fed her the best food, flew her around the world. She lived like a queen, didn't spend a dime and actually made money. So it's staying (laughs) in that state where you go, okay, if this path is closed to me, I may not have access to this form of abundance, but I must have access to other forms if I'm only imaginative and creative enough to stay in a state where I can be inspired to think of an alternate path. The alternate path will always present itself, but only if you stay in the state of receptivity for it to come to you.
0: Yeah, that is such a, a beautiful thing. And and these and the, are
1: not fairy tales. This is how reality works when you let it. When, but that's the big thing right there. That's the big t- that's the that's the rub. Yes. When you let it. Because every yeah. most of us want to kind of control the ego wants to yeah. control everything. Exactly. And that is actually the opposite of control. See the thing again, <laughs> we're we're not remembering that we're already in control surrendering to the flow of your life is not giving up control. It's actually surrendering to the control that's already built into you. It's automatic. You have to work with the way your life comes to you, knowing that it's coming to you in that way for a reason, for your purposes, to allow you to explore what you need to explore, to what you've agreed to explore, to improve yourself, to grow. So you have to work with the flow of the timing of events and the opportunities as they present themselves to you, even if something manifests that you objectively aren't vibrationally compatible with, you don't prefer it, and I don't mean as an emotional reaction negatively, you just recognize this is just not what I prefer, it's still there for a reason. Even if it's only the most basic reason, you manifested something you don't prefer so it's much clearer to you by contrast what you do prefer. And that's a positive way to use what you don't prefer. So when you use it up, then it goes away because you've used up the reason it's there is to illuminate more clarity in your life about what you do and don't prefer. Then you move forward with it. Other opportunities come.
0: This Absolutely. is how it works. This is,
1: this is synchronicity. Synchronicity is space-time's way of showing you that everything is connected. Mm-hmm. Everything oh, is an orchestration. Well, listen, I mean, that
0: you and I met 12 years 13 years ago and we're and we're talking like this now there's a point of why that happened
1: absolutely
0: there's just no question about it it's just such a uh an uh, it's just I don't know how how we even like I said I didn't even know you channeled the first five (laughs) or six years that we knew each other (laughs) we were in film we were doing that Right. It's it's but it's it's very synchronicity and into the to the point where then I go, Hey, I got a spiritual podcast. Can you come on? And you're like, yeah, sure, why not? And yeah, <laughs> and it works out. It's yeah. it's very, very fun. Um the, now Bashar has talked about something called the oversoul. What is that?
1: Well, again, it's the idea that <clears throat> consciousness has sort of I don't know what to, not broken itself, separated itself, because again, these separations are not really real, but out of convenience, (laughs) there's a perspective that is on a higher level, almost like an archetypal level where you could say it's, it's a collection, a potential collection of souls. And it's one great, it's like a mini source, mini God on a certain level where you've got a, a being that we'll call the oversoul that can actually extend individual soul consciousness from itself into many different timelines simultaneously, many different incarnations as individual souls simultaneously, and then creating physical minds that have physical experiences. And all that information feeds back through those individuated souls back to a single source called the oversoul. Now there can be oversouls, oversouls of oversouls. You could say source in a sense is the grand oversoul because it is everything. So an Oversoul is another way of saying that there's a level <clears throat> where there might be an Oversoul of the Earth. Bashar has said, looking at it from that perspective, we have, what, almost 8 billion people on this planet? But it only represents about 500,000 oversoul. So in other words, it's like an Oversoul might suddenly project individuated portions of itself as individual souls, incarnating as individual people thousands of times in one place at one time or in different timelines. So Mm. it's just a convenient way of sort of understanding there are layers and levels to the idea of collections of consciousness that are bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So the oversoul is a convenient way of saying that many, many individual souls may actually belong to a group of souls, a soul family on a larger scale. Right. And therefore that collective would be the oversoul in the same way that we say, well, you know, people of the United States belong to that country. Mm-hmm. People of North America belong to that continent. Humans belong to the planet Earth. Mm-hmm. You're getting larger and larger collectives. And so, you know, because there's a similar agreement to explore certain themes. So, groups of souls can bind together mm-hmm. in a similar country or continent or world that we call the Oversoul. Mm-mm. And
0: depending on the country you live in, the time period you live, you're learning certain lessons in that country. Exactly. You know, people exactly. in North so, Co- people in North Korea are going to have a very different experience than
1: the people in Mexico. Right, but the same Oversoul might be incarnating in North mm-hmm. Korea and in America and in Europe and whatever. To have all these different experiences <laughs> simultaneously, that's how it sees its experience and how it experiences itself as the collective. Of those souls.
0: Now, uh, we've talked a little bit about reincarnation, and now we're obviously we're talking about souls. What is Bashar's definition of karma?
1: Karma, he goes to the old original meaning of the word in Sanskrit, and karma mm-hmm. simply means action. And what he sees it as is: look, <clears throat> you get to a point where you realize maybe you're out of alignment with your true purpose, your true energy. The willingness to simply correct that to go back into alignment, to make different choices that bring you back into balance. It's the recognition that you're out of alignment that is karma and the actions you take to bring yourself back into balance. That's it. So if there is willingness to bring yourself back into balance when you recognize you might be out of balance, that's it. You've erased your karma. Interesting.
0: That's a really interesting point of view of of karma. I
1: mean, it's fairly it's similar
0: to other definitions but different in its simplicity yeah,
1: yeah it's not it's not about punishment it's not it's not about definitely not about judgment or punishment in the negative sense <clears throat> and it's definitely not an anchor that anchors you to the past or someplace where it's like well i have to work off my karma it's really a more immediate thing from his perspective. It's like, let I mean, even if you've had a thousand lifetimes as the worst person in the world and you come to a realization in one lifetime that, you know, that's really not the way to be. That's not in alignment with, you know, my sense of, of source and all that is. And you start to change yourself, boom, there, gone. You, you've rebalanced. You've made a decision to rebalance yourself. So it's not like you necessarily have to go through, you know, well, I did this to you, now I have to experience exactly the same thing. No, you might choose that, but you don't have to choose that. So it's not necessarily a vengeance or tit for tat or eye for an eye kind of a thing. It's do you realize who you are and are you willing to be that being? Are you willing to be the true reflection of source that you are? And if you start making choices and taking actions that demonstrate that you are, where's the karma? It's mm. gone because you have come back into balance or at least you're trying to. We'll be right back
0: after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So with all this conversations of, you know, soul, soul blueprints coming in for re- you know, reincarnation, all this, where does free will come into all this? Because if there's... Comes, I, go ahead.
1: Yeah, it's, it's combination. It's like, in other words, you have the free will as a spirit to have chosen this life. Mm-hmm. But when you come in and densify yourself, so to speak, as the physical person that is then living that life, experiencing that life, in a sense, you could say that the soul, you, has now chosen your destiny right? That free will choice of the soul becomes the physical person's destiny. In other words, you can't be anybody but Alex. That's right. That's the hallway. That's the path you are walking. This portion of your being is walking in this life. Now, how you do that? Free will. I can run. I can walk. I can happy, sad, backwards, forwards, crawl, fly, jump up and down, ignore everything, look in every door along the way, down the hallway, ignore them all, that's your free will how you experience who you are as this personality of alex that's your free will but you can't get out of being alex that's your destiny chosen by you on a higher level which was also a free will choice but to the physical person it seems like destiny because you can't be anybody but alex no matter how you change you're alex changing right Right. in other words i'm not uh brad pitt changing Exactly, uh, Alex. <laughs> you're, him, you're impersonating Brad Pitt. You're Alex impersonating Brad Pitt. <laughs> so that's a really that's a, that's,
0: a, that's probably one of the better definitions I've ever heard of free will because you you walk down a certain path. And again, we go back to that video game analogy. You are Mario. Yeah. You can't be Luigi. Nope. You're Mario. You can't you can't be Link or Zelda. You nope. gotta be Mario and play the game
1: as now how you play the game. Up to you. But that's the character you've chosen. Exactly. Like chess. You've decided to play the game of chess. You're going to play by the rules of chess. But how you use those rules, what strategies, what kind of pieces, what are they made of? Mm. What does the chessboard look like? All free will. You can choose all of that. But you're playing the game of chess. And you play by the rules of chess. Otherwise, you're playing another game. You're playing checkers or something.
0: Now, I've heard you uh, say this statement, all pain is resistance to natural." to your natural self. Can you dive into that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, everything is energy. Your body, your neurological network is using and processing energy, electrical signals and all that. Look at it from the perspective of electronics. If you have a wire that is resistant to the energy flowing through it for one reason or another, the wire heats up. It starts to dissolve. It starts to come apart. It starts to melt well, this is what's happening in your neurological system. You have, again, this innate core frequency. But if you have belief systems that are filtering that energy, it's creating resistance. And that the result of resistance in the neurological system to certain kinds of higher frequency energies is experienced as the sensation we call pain. So from Bashar's perspective is you have to become more superconductive. You have to get those filtering elements, those resistant elements to being yourself out of the way. Then the energy can flow freely and you're basically pain-free. Again, unless as a theme you have chosen, I'm going to experience this pain because of something It's going to serve in me. Maybe it's going to allow me to burn through my experience even faster because I'm so concentrated in this focus. Or it's a lesson for someone else in dealing with me that i have this pain so if there's a specific reason to maintain it you'll maintain it but in general for most people it's about letting go of those belief systems that cause resistance to your true self your true vibration so that you're not experiencing your neurological network struggling to let that energy through that's what causes the pain and disease dis-ease, dis-ease? no question um. what
0: is the difference between guilt, guilt and responsibility?
1: One is negative and one is positive. <laughs> uh, Thank first. you, sir. Move on. Next, yeah. next question. <laughs> guilt is self-judgment. Now, you can have the recognition. You can mm-hmm. say, okay, I, I've been out of alignment. That's not what I prefer to be. And I'm going to take responsibility for that. But that's the end of it in terms of the idea of experiencing guilt. You're not going, oh, I I did this bad thing. I'm a bad person. I'm hopeless. I'm worthless. Oh, now no one will love me and I don't love myself. All of these recriminations are aside from the point of why you recognize that you are out of alignment. It's to take responsibility, the positive action to bring yourself back into alignment. And look at the word, the way we say it, responsibility, the ability to respond, not react, but respond. Okay, I'm out of alignment. I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to make different choices. I have now turned my recognition of misalignment not into guilt by judging myself for having had the experience of being out of alignment because that's pointless because then I'm just going to wallow in it and I'm going to be more out of alignment. And now I'm going to be guilty that I'm guilty. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to respond, have the, have the ability to respond to this recognition in a positive way, which means I'm going to change myself for the better. To me, that's the difference.
0: Now, we've talked about a lot of these fear based beliefs and negative beliefs. How do you, are you having any advice on how do we remove these beliefs in our lives?
1: There's a mechanism Bashar talks about <clears throat> within all of us. He calls it the motivational mechanism. And he says this is unerring and immediate and automatic, and everyone uses it exactly the same way. There are no exceptions. The motivational mechanism is basically this <clears throat> you will always, always, without fail, no exceptions, no one is an exception. You will always move in the direction you believe. Benefits you. You will always move away from what you believe does not benefit you. The key here is what you believe. So if you are recognizing that you are doing things that are not necessarily beneficial, but you keep doing them, that means you've attached a belief to the motivational mechanism that makes that choice look better than the alternative, looks more beneficial than the alternative. For example, if you are afraid to move forward on your passion, what you may attach to your motivational mechanism is, if I did move forward on my passion, I believe things will be worse. Something bad will happen. I will fail. People won't like me anymore. I'll be alone. Therefore, you've made moving forward worse than staying where you are and not taking any action. You are playing it safe. And safe is more beneficial than a fear that something worse will happen than what you're experiencing now. Even if what you're experiencing now you don't like, if you think something, if you believe something worse will happen, you won't go there. So you have to find out, what am I believing? What do I believe is true? about this situation, this circumstance that is making my motivational mechanism prevent me from moving in that direction. Because the only reason I wouldn't move in that direction is I believe something worse will happen or it won't benefit me as much as staying where I am. That's the beginning of understanding what would I have to believe is true about myself in this circumstance in order to not act on my excitement or what am I afraid will happen if I do. It's that question you can ask, and if you're willing to be honest with yourself, you'll find out what that belief is, and you'll realize it's actually quite nonsensical. And Mm. if you look around, let's say that, you know, there's some, I want to, you know, I want to be a designer, or I want to play music, or something like that. And it's not even about where that needs to take you. But you look around in the world, and you see people who are designers, and people who are playing music, and people who are doing this, and doing a lot of the things you say would be fun for you to do, that you would be very excited to do. Well, if they can do it, the only difference between you is that their belief system about their ability to do that and what would happen if they did is different than yours because you all have that potential to move forward in what is true for you. And if those things are truly representative of your passion, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show the only thing stopping you is yourself, and the only thing you're using to stop yourself is that you believe something will happen that you will not like. So you have to find out what that belief is actually telling you. What story is it telling you? And the first step is to just ask that question. What must I believe is true about myself in this situation? Or what am I afraid will happen that prevents me from moving forward? That's usually... If you're willing to hear the answer, the answer will usually come somehow.
0: Well, let me ask you this then, because this is something I have some experience in, where you chase a dream that you think is the ultimate pleasure and passion. I know you've gone through this path as well, um, that and you spend years, arguably sometimes decades, chasing this specific dream only to hit walls again and again, but yet you really love it, you really enjoy it, you really want it. And you, everything has pointed you into this direction, yes. almost like this. this horrible, I would yell out to God. I go, why would you give me this passion for making movies if I get in the room with these big movie stars and producers and yet I don't get the job? What is the purpose? I see the purpose now, but I didn't then.
1: Yes, but you do now. So what brought you to that realization was the process you went through. The process is the point. Most people confuse process with the goal. Mm. I have to arrive at a destination. It's the journey that's the destination. It's the process that's the point. Now, sometimes it may manifest exactly as you imagine it will, but not always. And this is why the full formula that Bashar gives is act on your passion To the best you are able, taking it as far as you can till you can take it no further. Act on your passion with, and I know this is tough for people, zero assumption, (laughs) zero insistence on what the outcome is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. Stay in a positive state no matter what manifests. Constantly examine your belief systems and let go of the ones that don't serve you. All of that in many ways, is far more enriching and far more important than actually getting to a place where you're doing the thing you thought you would do. And the reason for this is, and again, this goes back to people's negative egos. We think we know what's best for us. The truth (laughs) is, we have no friggin' clue what the best outcome actually needs to look like. Rarely, we might guess But more often than not, we don't really know what the best thing is that needs to happen next. That is actually for our soul's growth. And so we have to remember that when something comes to us in a particular form, when our passion comes to us, presents itself in a particular form, it may only be to get you to move because that's the form that would get you excited enough to take some actions that you need to take. But it may not be that the form it comes in is the thing that actually has to come to fruition. That's why he says no assumption, no insistence on the outcome because you don't really know why the passion is coming to you that way. It could just be that that's the only thing that'll get you off your butt and start moving and start acting and doing something. And it may only be to get you where you need to be so that what really needs to happen can happen because now you're moving, now you're doing. So you have to stay with the process as more important. And the idea of running into walls can also be a positive thing because he's saying there is kind of what he calls green light synchronicity and red light synchronicity. Now, yes, there is true negative synchronicity where you're in that negative state and negative things keep piling up and piling up and and amplifying. But he said there are two forms of positive synchronicity, red light, green light. So the idea is like traffic signals. You go through the green lights, you stop at the red light so you won't crash into someone else. So green light synchronicity is when an opportunity comes to you and you are able to actually do something about it. You are able to take an action. But red light synchronicity is when something comes to your awareness and you can't actually move down that path yet. Or it's basically telling you, this is not the step to take right now. Go over here. Find the next thing that you are able to act on that is representative of your passion. Because even though it looks like it has nothing to do with this, excitement tells you that it's all connected and maybe you need to learn something over here so you can come back and do this better so right now red light says no green light says yes and these are the guide rails that keep you on your path
0: but but daryl i want to go through the
1: red light daryl i don't want to go the other way (laughs) but if you go through red lights you know what might happen (laughs) you'll wind up in the hospital and, you know, that think we all
0: go through like, no, but I want to go this way. I'm like, no, you can't. There's a wall there for a reason. It's there to protect you. Right. But at the moment, you're just like, I can smell it. I could taste it. Can I just
1: get over yes. there? And now this brings us to what Bashar calls the seven basic needs of life. Because mm-hmm. he says it's not about necessarily, although, again, sometimes your wants and your needs can coincide. But mostly it's about what you need not what you want because what you want can be again just an ego thing and you think oh this is what i need no it's just what you want but it's not what you need so like you said before a lot of people have certain kinds of fame certain kinds of abundance and that's like that and it may be what they wanted but it may not be what they really need because a lot of rich people are not very happy so the idea is his seven basic needs are the things you need in physical reality to thrive and without which, in increasing, let's say, increasing order of how quickly you would die without them, or how quickly <laughs> your spirit would diminish without them, they are, number one, air. You'll die within a few minutes without it. And, you know, for a moment, let's the caveat is, yes, I know there are exceptions. There are people mm-hmm. that can hold their breath for a long time. There are people that can go without food for a long time. All this stuff. We're sure. talking about the average person. Sure. So air is number one. You need it without which in a few minutes you'd be dead. Number two is water. You need water without which maybe in a few days you'd Mm -hmm. be dead. Next, people think the next one is food. It's not. It's sleep and connection to dreaming because that's your recharging your your spirit. That's recharging your physical body. And you would actually start to go psychotic in about 11 days if you don't actually sleep and dream. (laughs) Then food which if you have water and air, you can probably go without for, you know, a few weeks, a couple of weeks or more. Actually, more, actually. yeah. yeah. And then it starts to shift into other ways of looking at dying. So that's the first four. So the next one is what we might loosely call shelter or an environment that is conducive to thriving in physical reality, whether you actually are in a house or not. Like, you know, people in Hawaii can live outside and outdoors for extended periods of time because it's paradise, you know, the temperatures mm-hmm. of this. And it's, it's not conducive to harming you for the most part. So it's some form of environment or shelter that's conducive to thriving. And then it's connection, relationship without which, again, you kind of wither and die. But it doesn't mean relationship to a person. It's relationship to the cosmos, relationship to a tree, relationship to an animal, some form of connection and reflection for you in a relationship of some sort. That's important. Otherwise, again, your spirit starts to kind of feel like it's missing something. And you can wither, you can go into depression states and things like that, and maybe even take your own life. The last one is what jumps back into the idea of passion. And that is, Self-expression, creative expression. Who are you? Do you get the opportunity to express who you really are in a creative way in your world? So these seven things are what he calls the basic needs you need to thrive in physical reality. And they're very different sometimes from the things that people say they want. So he's always cautious to say, it's not about what you want so much. It's about what you need. Because if you get everything you need, you will live a fulfilled, joyful life. What you want won't always make you happy.
0: As uh, as I can I, I can attest to that as my children want pizza all the time, all the time. Uh, and ice cream all the time. But they're starting to get to the point when, when they get it, they're like, "Maybe I shouldn't have eaten that much." They're starting to learn those lessons. Those lessons. <laughs>
1: Very tasty lessons, but nevertheless,
0: yes, t- tasty going in. Not so much the other <laughs> way. Um, now on a um, now there uh, on a macro standpoint. <clears throat> What does Bashar say about the future of humanity? What is coming up for humanity in the next decade, let's say?
1: Well, he is usually loath to make predictions, but he has mm-hmm. made a few. And the only reason he does that, <clears throat> well, first of all, let me say, his caveat is there's no such thing as a prediction of the future. Mm-hmm. There are many probabilities. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now, back to the show. When a person makes a prediction, they're sensing the energy that exists at the moment the prediction is made. If that momentum remains, Mm -hmm. it could come to pass. But knowing the prediction can actually change the prediction. So if someone's saying, hey, this is going on in the energy right now, and we don't like that, we can do things to change it. So even when a prediction doesn't come true, it doesn't mean that the psychic was wrong. It means that by letting you know what they're sensing of the present energy, you have the free will to change that. So nevertheless, Bashar says, when something seems so unlikely to change, there's so much energy and so much momentum behind it that it's unlikely to change, those are the ones that he calls on and says, okay, I can tell you this. It seems like you know 90% this is going to happen unless mm-hmm. you really do something radical to change it. Mm-hmm. He did this back in 98, uh, and it's on tape. He said that by the end of 2001, there will be a terrorist attack in New York. That happened. He said, uh, I forget exactly when, but before 2016. He said in 2016, everything will change. And he was referring to the politics of the world. Mm -hmm. We can certainly have seen that. The latest prediction he's made... And he's not really explaining exactly what the circumstances are that will bring this about. Mm -hmm. So he's not going that far yet. But he said most likely it's over 90%. Sometime between the end of 2026 and the beginning of 2027, he said there could possibly be, it's likely there would be a major contact event with extraterrestrials. Mm. But he's not saying what would bring that about. I'm not getting the impression it's necessarily brought about by something we would consider to be positive. But in the event that it happens in the way he's saying or when he's saying, he's saying, then everything will change because you'll know you're not alone. And there will be many other things you will have to consider from that point forward. So <clears throat> that's his latest prediction. Okay. Somewhere around the end of 26, beginning of 27, there will be a major et contact event whatever that means (laughs) exactly
0: um now i'm going to ask you a few questions ask all my guests daryl yeah what is your definition of living a fulfilled life
1: being who you are and being who you are is truly trusting that you can act on your passion and be supported it's like being a piece of a large picture puzzle it's important to be the shape you were made to be because that's the shape that will fit into the picture puzzle with all the other shapes who are being the shapes that they were made to be if you try to be a different shape you won't fit in and the big picture can't be made to support you so being true to the shape you are to who you are to me is being fulfilled if you could
0: go back and tell your
1: younger self one thing, what would it be? Don't worry. It'll all work out.
0: <laughs> we do worry a lot when we're younger, don't we? We still worry.
1: don't we? I mean, we all still worry, isn't no, it? It'll, it'll just sort of relax, go with the flow. It'll all work out. You have to trust the way your life unfolds. It's, it's unfolding that way for a reason. You'll learn what you need to learn, and you'll really appreciate it later in life.
0: How do you define God?
1: All that is. Everything. Anything. There's nothing outside of it. Everything is made of it. It's all that is.
0: What is the ultimate purpose of life?
1: Knowing yourself. Being yourself. Expanding yourself.
0: And where can people find out more about you, your work, your escape (laughs) rooms, your books, all the other things that you're doing, sir?
1: Uh, For all Bashar stuff, they can go to Bashar.org, B-A-S-H-A-R.org. For a lot of my stuff, they can go to DarylAnka.com, D-A-R-R-Y-L-A-N-K-A.com. Eventually, when we open the escape room this month, they will be able to go to BoggledEscapeRooms.com, B-O-G-G-L-E-D, BoggledEscapeRooms.com. Uh, and on com, they can find out about books I've written and any other creative endeavors like films and things like that, that I've been involved with. So those three things are mainly the places they can find out what we're doing. And do you have any final
0: words for our audience, my friend?
1: I really do encourage everyone to do their best to really act on their passion. It's always supported me. It It never has let me down. It's just really about being who you are. And passion is the key that lets you know what you're all about. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have a grand project or anything like that. Just following what's more exciting in the moment. But you have to be honest with yourself about what that truly is. Because we're really good at disguising anxiety as excitement. And we're really good at disguising excitement as anxiety. So it takes great honesty and willingness to be truthful to yourself about what you're truly passionate about. And again, you have to honor your belief system. If you don't believe your passion will support you, don't quit your day job. You need to be supported in whatever way you believe you need to be supported. But at least give yourself the opportunity when you can to act on your passion until such time as you allow it to prove to you that it can support you. And then you can do whatever you want with your day job when you gain the awareness that your passion is actually the best way to support yourself in life and be who you truly are and also serve humanity because by being a living example of living your dreams that rubs off on other people and lets them know that it's possible for them to do that too even if they don't have a belief system that would allow it to do allow them to do that right away be yourself
0: my friend thank you so much for coming back on the show it is always a pleasure and honor having these amazing conversations with you i hope this conversation helps trigger a few things in people who are listening to it from now to many years to come. And I appreciate the tireless work that you've done over the last, what, four decades now that you've
1: been working? This is the 40th year.
0: yeah. You've been working with uh, with Bashar and channeling Bashar and his amazing teachings into the world. And uh, I'm glad and I, that I can help in a small way to get these teachings out to a, a oh, larger it's audience. Larger
1: than you think. I, I believe it's larger than you think. And I really appreciate you doing this so this information can be shared. Again, it's up to everyone to decide whether it works for them or not. But we appreciate the opportunity to at least give them the option. And I thank you. And it's uh, always my passion and my pleasure to talk with you.
0: I will see you soon, my friend. Thank you again. Have a good day. I want to thank
1: Daryl so much
0: for coming on the show and sharing all of his knowledge with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 244.